All right. Well, let's get started. And uh, since we don't have uh, one particular text to cover, let's just begin with prayer. Father, thank you um, for this day of celebration, this Lord's Day that reminds us weekly that um, Christ is risen, that um, you put your seal on what he's accomplished, and that through union with him, we have every spiritual blessing. Lord, we praise you for that. Thank you for your grace in imparting that gift to us. Um, we ask for your help this morning as we uh, seek to know him more specifically and uh, seek to understand his nature more clearly. Uh, please give us grace to do so. We pray in his name. Amen. All right. Well, everybody's familiar. Reagan, it's been a while since you've been in here, but we're still studying Christology and the deity of Christ. Reagan's not surprised. <laughs> I tend to drag things out insufferably, but um, but we have moved into a new subsection today, um, and that's in the deity of Christ, and that's proofs of Christ's deity um, in seeing that him perform the works of God. So the premise again is if, if Christ uh, is attributed uh, or is stated as doing a work that only God can do, like forgive sins, then it must then it implies that he's divine, that he has divine prerogatives. So um, so there you go, Reagan. That's where we're at. <laughs> You're here for the first one. I'm sure you'll be grateful to not be here for the second. But <laughs> uh, all right, so let's be reminded of the Old Testament foundation and what we see here. And there are a few things I want to point out very particularly in Genesis 1. Um, hey, brother, did you pick one up? You made it. <laughs> what a man, what a man. <laughs> so we, I've just told him we've, we're still obviously in the deity of Christ, but we're looking, we're beginning a new subsection, probably be for two, two weeks, maybe three, but, uh, and that's the works of God performed by Christ. So as proofs for his deity. So we're just beginning there at Genesis one and looking at the foundation and want to point out some particulars. In the beginning, of course, uh, uh, who created? God, right? Very clearly. Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So he, he's not a territorial deity. He created it all. Um, now, notice verse 2. This is often, uh, I think, uh, butchered uh, to, to try to uh, um, defend certain new perspectives on creation, but um, notice what it says just in its most basic sense. The earth was without form and void, and it was consumed with what? Darkness. Okay, there's theological reasons for this. This isn't, this isn't about uh, geology. Okay, um, it's when God created matter um, until subsequent events happened it was formless it had no it had no uh, uh, shape to it it was purposeless and it was pervaded darkness pervaded okay uh, and continuing on 
the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So there's that sense of anticipation there. Um, and it's obviously Trinitarian. But verse 3. And God said, since we have God speaking, let there be light. And there was light. So the first act in which God brings order to matter and, and begins to shape it and mold it with his anthropomorphic hands is he speaks and creates light. So, uh, and, and it's the advent of the light that uh, starts to bring form and order and purpose to uh, the darkness. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. Now, let's look at two more Old Testament texts because uh, as we move forward and look at Christ or creation being attributed to Christ, uh, these are going to um, need to be remembered. Um, so remember this one from Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord, all caps, Yahweh, who created the heavens, he is God. So there specifically, Yahweh is attributed with having created the heavens. He is God. He formed the earth and made it. So that's that same kind of order that we see, that initial creation and then the, the, the personal uh, forming and fashioning, if you will. Uh, just wanted you to see that consistently. Um, who formed the earth and made it, he established it. Uh, he did not create it empty. And contrary to what many think today, he actually formed it to be inhabited. <laughs> so <laughs> humans, his image bearers, aren't, aren't um, um, invaders on the earth that need to be eradicated in order for the earth to thrive. No, it was created um, with that purpose in mind. Now, notice how that concludes. This God who created all things, or created the heavens, who formed the earth, made it and established it, created it to be established. He says, I'm the Lord and there's no other. So in the context of declaring his power and genius over creation, he says, I'm Yahweh. There's no one else. Uh, Psalm 33, 6, notice the means here. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Of course, that harkens back to that what we've talked about before, that, that it's God's revealing of himself, God's self-revelation, his speaking, him, his making himself known in, in words and language, um, uh, that brought about the light, that brought form to the darkness, um, that brought about everything. Now, with those as a backdrop, of course, John 1, we've looked at this before several times um, for good reason, but John 1, 1, in the beginning, so setting the, the time period, our thinking to, to the creation, because that's the same language of Genesis 1, in the beginning, notice the tense of the be-to-be be verb there, was the Word, right? So the Word already was in the beginning. And, and when we think of the Word, of course, we think of God speaking. 
let there be light. God spoke, but here, of course, we know that the John's going to later go to identify the word, the Logos of God, as Jesus, right? the incarnate Son. Um, John affirms that the word was with God, so there's distinction in personages, right? so it's very Trinitarian, but also equality. The word was God. Um, I won't go into all that grammar again, but uh, if you want to, you can ask me about that later and, and, and can show you how to defend that against the attacks of the cults. But, um, but I want to move on to the emphasis of creation, not just eternal preexistence, etc. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. So, you know, Genesis 1, we had only seen God, right? In the beginning, God alone existed. Um, well, John says that Jesus was in the beginning with God, and then he, he, he ascribes the work that we've seen over and over again, ascribed to God, to Christ. He says, all things were made through him, right? it's through Christ, and with... And, so there's no confusion. He says, without him, without Christ, was not anything made that was made. See, it's almost redundant. Like it's more words than necessary, but he's being very emphatic here. So there's been no conclusion. Now, look at verse 4. Notice the source. What we'd seen in Genesis 1 was that it was the speaking out of God, the breathing out of God, Psalm 33, from that life came into existence, that life and life and order and purpose came into existence. God being the source in Genesis 1, Psalm 33. Here he says, in him, in the Logos, in Christ was life. See that? So he's the source. Um, and the life was the what? <laughs> See, the light of men. Okay, see the connection. Like John's just, he's just, um, he's drawing from Genesis and, and he's and he's showing the, the supremacy and divinity of Christ, that he's the source and that the light, as we saw in, in Genesis 1-2, the light shined in the darkness and the darkness is not overcome it. And here we're talking about the word, the Logos of God. Uh, uh, skip down to verse 10. Remember, this is in the same chapter, but for sake of time, we're just moving forward. He makes it very clear and says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So interestingly enough, the, the God of creation, Christ, whom was the source of creation, or who was the source of creation, um, he he entered into his creation, but was unknown by it, is the point he's making. But again, the point being that um, the world was made through him. Uh, similarly, John 8, notice the parallel. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of what? Of life, see, it just keeps connecting back, and this is by no means exhaustive. I just we only have so much time, so 
I tried to pick out some of the better ones. Or not better. <laughs> Shouldn't say that. <laughs> some of the more clear ones. <laughs> um, uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to beat Colossians 1, though. Uh, look at that with me. Remember the context, the he, the antecedent for he there is Christ. We'll just assume that for sake of time. It says he is the image of the invisible God. If you're here when we looked at that before, what what's do you remember that what that word for image is? It's like icon, right? That that similar thing that we see in Hebrews one, which we'll also look at, it says he's the exact imprint of his nature. So in other words, the invisible God, if it's invisible, it can't be seen, right? If something's invisible, it can't be seen. And so what, what Paul's saying here is that Jesus, the incarnate son, is the image, think the second commandment, images of God are forbidden, period. But here he says, Jesus is the image of the God that's invisible. See, so even, now that's not our point here, but even that's a proof of deity. <laughs> For him to be the a visible expression of the invisible God, he must be one in essence with him or it's a violation of the second commandment. So, but that's not our point. The point is what comes next. But it's just hard to pass that over without, you know, I mean, like that's just mind-blowing. Uh, so the next verse, look. For by him, Christ, all things were created. So let me point something out. Um, say, scan back up to John 1.10. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Well, cults will say on that, well, what that means is that God used Christ as the instrumental means of creation. So, in other words, it doesn't mean he's divine. It just simply means like, God commissioned Christ and Christ created. Well, and this is where prepositions are so important. And I can't remember who said it, but that the whole world, pun intended, rests on prepositions. Right? Um, but, but notice what Colossians affirms that we just read. It's not through him. It's what? By him. Okay, you see how that... That clarifies it a bit. Um, no, he actually did the creating. By him, everything was created. Now, so it's not, you know, in other words, it's not compartmentalized between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Okay, when it says God created the heavens and the earth, it um, it was all created by the Logos, the Word of God, uh, uh, Jesus, the incarnate Son. Okay, sorry. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Hey, morning, brother. Um, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now watch this. Again, the prepositions. All things were created through him and what? For him. <laughs> okay, that steps it up even further because we, we see multiple times throughout the Old Testament that the creation declares the glory of God. Right? And the purpose of it is to make God known, to, to reveal God. It's for his glory. And Paul says that 
the entire creation. And he goes to great lengths there uh, uh, to emphasize that. Heaven, earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, like every aspect of it was created for Christ, okay, for the Son. Um, similarly, uh, Hebrews 1 2, uh, remember this, talking about God's revelation, times past, God spoke through our fathers, through the prophets, in various ways, but in these last days, He's spoken, revealed himself by a son whom he appointed heir of all things. And again, it affirms through whom also he created the world. But now, let's remember, look at Isaiah 45, 18 again. So we don't, so we don't uh, uh, um, miss this. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens. So he created it himself. He is God. And look at the last sentence. I'm the Lord who created and there's no other. Okay, so you you can't reconcile these except by saying uh, Jesus shares in the divine essence. First um, Corinthians eight, six. And we'll look at this actually in the next section. Um, I think we'll be able to. Or maybe we won't. I don't know. We'll see how far we get. Because I want to do providence today too. Works of providence. But um, this will show up later in providence if we don't. Now, look at the way at least the verse begins. It is mid-sentence. But Paul says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, notice, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And again, what did he say in Colossians 16? We, that, that things were created for whom? For Jesus, right? <laughs> okay. So um, either Paul is uh, double-minded here or he's seeing an equality and essential being between the Father and the Son um, because he's affirming the both, both. The same thing about both. Yet for us there's one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom... We exist and one Lord, Jesus Christ, and in the same sentence, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And like I said, we'll come back to that in, in, in looking at providence. Um, and then this one's kind of subtle. Um, but if you really think about it, uh, it's beautiful. Acts 3.14, um, Peter's. If you call it a sermon, but it's certainly an indictment against the uh, the Jews. Um, he told them that uh, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. So who's he talking about? Yeah. And who did they deny? Christ, right? So and then what else did they do? Verse 15. This is there's such irony here and you killed the author of life what does an author do <laughs> yeah right an author writes it's an author is the source or the origin of of whatever work so the author of life the source of life that's why i'm saying it drips with irony says you killed 
you killed the source of your own life. Of course, we in the, understand the hypostatic union is the solution to that. Jesus being fully God and fully man. But, um, and then, of course, God affirmed that by saying you raised him from the dead. So, now I want to, I think we have time for this. Um, to, I, w- I want you to see this aspect because it's just, it's just beautiful. Um, and that's of, of uh, a, a new creation that's a very prominent theme in the scripture and how Christ here too is the center of that. Um, probably the, uh, on a personal subjective level, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is the most uh, uh, familiar to us. This is therefore if anyone is in Christ, uh, means joined to him, baptized into him, uh, spiritually speaking, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold the new has come. Uh, John In John chapter 3, Jesus uh, had intimated this before um, with these somewhat cryptic words, not meaning cryptic in the sense of intentionally. Well, maybe you could say that. Hmm. I'd have to think about that more. But in other words, the, the, they tend to be confusing for us. But when Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, um, you know, we're... We know you come from God because of the works you do. And, and Jesus seems to kind of interrupt him and say, um, um, unless one's born of God, he can't see, or born again, sorry, he can't see the kingdom of God. And, of course, Nicodemus thinks, how? <laughs> like, I can't become in vitro again and come back out, right? So, like, what, what are you talking about? And Jesus signifies this and, and hints at what we later see declared that unless one is born of water, physical birth, and the spirit, uh, spiritual birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So, um, of course, he affirms that it's a uh, spiritual creation, this new creation um, that's coming. Um, Paul in Galatians 6 uh, helps us to understand what Jesus just said or what we just read when he says neither circumcision, the flesh, physical birth, physical lineage, physical posterity, um, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation, new birth. Now, look at. Be reminded of these promises. And there's a lot, I think, you know, there's a ton of confusion here, and I don't have all the answers. I'm just going to go and tell you that um, uh, about this in particular. But um, but I do want you to see at least it's uh, one way that it's used that helps us to um, uh, see uh, something about the nature of Christ and his deity <clears throat> through it. So, Sort of at the conclusion of Isaiah and the, the promises of, of redemption and the return of blessing and the age of the spirit and, and, uh, Messiah and, and, and the restoration of all things. It, it, 
somewhat concludes with the, these great, this one great promise that says, Behold, I, who's speaking, think Isaiah 65. Yeah, God, Yahweh. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Uh, go on to 66.22. He reaffirms it um, and, and gives it a, a, a new promise. To those who are called by his name, he says, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make, that I make, <laughs> that I make, <laughs> shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. So, in other words, um, uh, as we'll see in, well, actually I didn't include it there in Second Peter, but uh, the ideal and the understanding is that a, a judgment and a destruction, and I think that is being communicated in Isaiah too, that God's going to visit um, fallen Israel and 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 uh, in a sense all of creation with in judgment and destruction, but that He wouldn't leave it destitute, but there but there would be a transformation. We call it the definite article, the regeneration meaning not just in the soul but the the recreation of all things um and he says but this creation will remain why is that because the sin that corrupted the previous creation in the fall of adam see it will it will have been fully and finally eradicated okay through the through the work of christ and he says um, just like this will remain, show show your offspring and your name remain. Um, now Peter, uh, like I said, there's some there's complications in that for all of us, but and I don't want to get in that. I want to kind of try to stay focused. I just want you to understand the scene. Peter reaffirms this in in his latter writing, and it's interesting the time period because uh, it. If I if I remember correctly, this is one of the later uh, written New Testament books. Like uh, it, Israel would probably have been under siege, at least formally, by Titus at the time this was written, like 66, 67 A.D. If if the commentators I've read are correct, which they may not be. Um, in any event. Uh, didn't look like promising times. And Peter said, but according to his promise, I would say harken back to Isaiah 65 and 6, we are waiting at that time for new heavens and a new earth. See the difference? He kind of summarizes those two chapters. If you remember all those like grand things, the lion and the lamb will play together and the child will play with the serpent. And he kind of summarizes all those by saying that in the new heavens and the new earth, righteousness will dwell. See, the sin is eradicated. Um, uh, and he says at that time, we're waiting on that. Now, here's where it all comes together. Revelation 21.1. And remember what happens in Revelation 20. And remember, chapter breaks are uninspired. 
the judgment, right? That some people call it the great white throne judgment, but but everything, all of creation, like period, everything, hell, <laughs> heaven, earth, sea, everything is summoned before the one who sits on this great white throne. And, and the assumption is in the text that that's Christ, that the suffering Christ um, is now Lord of all and judge and master. And if that assumption is going to matter on whether or not this shows his deity. But that is the assumption that everyone I know makes. Um, so after that, after judgment has been meted out, after all wickedness has been destroyed like, entirely, okay, Satan, fallen angels, everything. Just remember the, the language. After it's all this destruction and judgment and doom has been happening, we have this glorious promise. And, and it's just following. There, there's no break at this point. There are breaks in Revelation, lots of them. At this point, the narrative is just continuing. And this is what John sees next. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And then skipping down to verse four. Um, says <laughs> uh, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So see the, like the parallels to Isaiah, right? And, and even Peter, destruction is coming. Judgment, pervasive, exhaustive, complete judgment is coming on, on, on all evil. But, but it doesn't stop there, right? I'm going to recreate, says the person on the throne, is what we'll see. Verse 5, he who was seated on the throne, assuming that's Christ, which everyone I know does, says, behold, I am making all things new. Um, and he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So we, as we see the first creation attributed to Christ, so the promise of the new creation is attributed uh, to him. Now, I do think we have time because this is really short. Um, it doesn't look like it, but these go fast um, because not only did God create the universe, but the scripture tells us over and over again that he sustains it, that he governs it. He's not like the God of deism, abstract deism that's, you know, says God created the world and he winds up the machine and and now he's passive. He's not active within his creation. No, the scripture affirms, as we'll see like in Matthew 5.45, um, that it's the Father in heaven who makes, who makes, think about that, his son rise on the evil and good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Um, but, and of course there are, um, multiple implications to that common grace being the foremost there that God gives good and blessing and benefit to even the wicked that like that's his nature the nature of his common grace but the point we see there is that why does the 
from our perspective of the one written, okay, the sunrise, okay, we want to be real technical, we say, why does the earth not fall out of its orbit by a meteor, get knocked out? Why? Because God sustains it. Um, why do the rains come? Why does, uh, you know, etc.? Because God orders and govern, governs his creation. We call that his acts of providence. Um, similarly, Matthew 6.26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So again, the, the, the point is, are you not of more value than they? But, but what we can infer from that is even, even the, the, the smallest, seemingly most insignificant parts of creation, God sustains. He creates. He provides for. Um, his providence sustains everything he made, makes. Um, now, this, is, this one isn't so clear, but um, commentators use it. Um, and, and maybe see more in it, but it is interesting because Jesus, after having sent out the, uh, his disciples kind of in that pre-commission, great commission, if you remember that, sends out the 70 or the 72, um, uh, he tells them, you know, don't prepare for your journey because the workman's worthy of his wages. And then so he, he, he makes mention back to that. And he says, when I sent you out, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. So what's kind of intimated there is Jesus, who was absent, was still their Lord and Master and Sovereign. And, and in that sovereignty, in his providence over them, um, uh, saw that they had all their needs met. Again, that's not super clear. But the ones that are coming are. So, again, 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Thankfully, we did make it back to it. Um, remember, yet for us there's one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things. The creation. And then what? Through whom we exist. See, presently. So it's not just that he's the source of our origination, the author, right? He's the sustainer. It's through whom that we have our present being. Um, then Hebrews 1.3, again, I love Hebrews. He, Christ, the radiance, the effulgence of the glory of God. We talked about that. We also talked about this this morning, the exact imprint of his nature the icon of the invisible God but look at what else it says he Christ does what he upholds the universe you see that metaphor he sustains it he keeps it um, he girds it up make sure that it continues and look at this and think of the Genesis narrative. How does he uphold it? By the word of his own power. You see that? I mean, if he's not one in essential being, you have you have. I don't, I don't even know how you would 
deal with these theological hurdles uh, that this would impose. Um, Now, I put that on there twice. That was not on purpose. (laughs) But uh, I don't know, just uh, skip over the second Hebrews 1.3 and then go to Colossians. This, again, continuing what we looked at with creation, uh, as is often the case, they're coupled together. Not only that Christ was the originator, but that he's the sustainer. That, he, that you see him doing works of providence that only God can do. Uh, be reminded, verse 16, that it's by him that everything was created, heaven, earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, that all things were created through him, all things were created for him. Then verse 17, he is before all things, and and that's uh, I'm trying to think there. I don't want to mislead you. Um, okay, I just won't say it. It'll come up later in the verse where I'm certain, and I'll I'll tell you. So he is before all things, and in him, Christ, all things hold together. So again, there's that continual. Providence that he governs the universe as we saw ascribed uh, to the Father and in the Old Testament continually to God proper. Verse 18, this is where I said I'll get to it. And so this creator and sustainer of everything, I think that you're a first century persecuted Christian who's potentially lost everything because you follow Christ um, and you're seen as just a, a, a heretical cult of Judaism and treated as such. And this Lord that you follow for which you've given up everything, uh, it's declared to you that he's the very creator and sustainer of everything that exists himself. And then here's the comfort, verse 18. He's the head of the body the church, and he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And that's where I was saying that it's the the word there is, I don't want to um, bore you, but uh, if you hear it, prototokos, which means the, the uh, um, it does mean the firstborn, but um, if you see its usage in scripture, it very seldom refers to chronology but it refers to rank. So the preeminent one, the the one who's head of the body is the head, the firstborn, the preeminent one in rank over all creation. Um, We've looked at that before at another lesson more exhaustively, but it's very important because the cults will take that and say, see, he's created, so he can't be God. And not if you see how the scripture uses that word, um, it refers to his his rank as and Paul goes on to say it. He's the firstborn of all creation, the beginning, the firstborn of all creation. Why? So that in everything, now think about what he just said, the scope, everything in heaven. Think about that. <laughs> Earth, visible, invisible. Think about that. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authority, 
in everything he might be preeminent. What's preeminent mean? No tricks there. Right? The chief and principal one. The one of highest rank and dignity. The one of highest worth. Right? The one for which it all exists. Okay. All right. Well, that worked out. Let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Father, we do thank you again for what we see uh, in, in your holy, sacred word. Um, there are great mysteries there. and We need your grace. We confess that to understand them. Um, but, but our hearts marvel at the, at the beauties, majesty of Christ, his preeminence. Uh, we thank you for the privilege that we have of, of being recipients of your glory being manifested in him um, that we can uh, see and behold your nature uh, through the incarnation and, and, and we thank you that it's our Lord um, who's the firstborn who's the chief and the author of life and and that um, he has set his love on us eternally we praise you we acknowledge it's purely an act of your grace we give you praise in his name. Amen.